You're listening to Flipping Tables on Sunrise Robot. Find out how you can support us at sunriserobot.net slash support. And twenty-two. I'm one of your hosts, David Lyons, and I'm Michael Edwards. And uh, before we get into the show proper, um, I'm gonna I'm gonna tell a little bit of a personal story. You got time for a personal story? For the good of the show, I do. <laughs> so uh, I think I've I've probably mentioned once or twice before that I, I do the martial arts. Right, that's like a, a hobby of mine. And uh, this this weekend, I was sparring with a, a, a longtime friend and training partner of mine, and uh, he's a lot bigger than me, which is <laughs> fine. Like I'm not a big guy, so you know I have to I'm, I have to be used to fighting guys that are bigger than me. And he took my feet out from under me, and I was like, "Oh no, I'm gonna get thrown!" But then he lost his footing and slipped. <laughs> And like all of his weight came crashing <laughs> down into my rib cage. So uh, as as we record this, I am uh, desperately trying to not laugh too deeply because that's uncomfortable. Um, but sneezing and hiccups are like actually painful. <laughs> so it's been a few days since this happened. Uh, there hasn't been like any blood, nothing sticking out of me like some kind of Cronenberg uh, monster. I think I'm probably okay, but if you hear me wince in agony, you'll know what it's from. Please, everyone, keep the memes and jokes on Twitter to a minimum this week while (laughs) David recovers. We can't have him laughing at his Twitter feed. Fortunately, laughter is the is it's just like a little uncomfortable. But oh man, like I I I sneezed and I didn't think about you know because you can like do the the finger like up the nose thing you know where you like push on the bridge of your nose. And and I just forgot to do that, and I sneezed, and just like I mean, like doubled over, like clutching my side, like verge <laughs> of tears, just like oh, why? What kind of god would allow this? So you need a, an update of that one comic that says like try not to laugh, <laughs> cry <laughs> a lot, still at the end. Exactly. Yeah, that's me, just rolling around on the floor in a puddle of tears. <laughs> so that was my weekend. Did you do anything fun? <laughs> yeah, I got a new bag. <laughs> well, <laughs> we went up to the mountains, but who cares about that? Um, <laughs> no, I, I, I don't normally gush, and I'm actually not normally like an organization porn kind of person, <laughs> um, but I, uh, through another podcast, heard about Tom Bin, this company in Seattle that makes like fancy little messenger and cafe bags all the way up to like briefcases and suitcase like the entire range and uh one of their bags caught my eye it's the we are not sponsored by them this is not a a paid (laughs) endorsement um though they should please sponsor us (laughs) um but uh, i got their maker's bag which is like a small messenger bag or a big like shoulder cafe bag it's like right in the middle and uh, it's really hitting a sweet spot for me because the the biggest problem I always run into, and I've I've run, I've lived the backpack life for a long time, which is kind of like the ah just screw it, just give me a whole bunch of space, I'm not going to worry about it. <laughs> um, but unfortunately, backpacks just don't aren't perceived as very professional, and uh, it's in, not even 
they're they're very great because they balance the weight on your shoulders. You don't like that's a big downside to messenger bags, um, is you feel like you got to switch soldiers, sh- soldiers, soldiers. You got you switch your shoulders. But anyway, this maker's bag is like as small as possible without being too small, and that's like perfect for me because I can fit my 15 inch MacBook if I really want to. And I can fit my iPad Pro, which is what I'm mainly thinking of carting around most of the time. And uh, and I can and like it's very intelligently set up. And I'll try to take some pictures for the show notes, which you can find at sunriserobot.net <laughs> slash flipping tables slash one two two. But I just wanted to give a shout out to check out their bags because I've been super happy with it. I took it to the mountains, and so I was able to pack my iPad to do some sketching and note taking, uh, still packed by like Sony, like slightly better than phone camera, um, actually a lot better <laughs> than phone camera. Um, and still had like, Oh, pens and journals and like a canteen. I have a canvas canteen that's like perfect for putting in a bag like this, like it seals. So it's not going to spill on my stuff, but it's like, I don't know. It's, it's weird to get excited about a bag. I realize. Oh <laughs> but, no! I mean, I'm I'm I could do a whole probably a podcast about like bags and boxes and containers. Like I, I love things that hold other things. Like I am totally all about the organization porn. And while you're talking, I've been looking at the photos on their website. And at first, I was like, "Why the maker bag? Like, what makes it a bag for makers?" And then you can see, like in these these uh, you know pr- press shots, I guess these these listing shots that they're like, oh, put stuff in here for your craft, like your camera equipment or your knitting equipment or your yeah. you know your your tech equipment or your sketching equipment because those are things makers use, and then go out into the field and do your your making. Yeah. There's two main features I want to call out about that like make this bag super good, other than just being, hey, it's a good size messenger bag, is uh, one, it's really good at sitting open without you supporting it. So when you open it, you know, obviously if you pack it weird, it's going to fall over, but um, it's pretty handy for being able to see what's in it without sacrificing half of your God-given instruments for <laughs> sorting through things. Um, and it, you know, the way it's set up, you can see almost everything in your bag when it's open because of the way things spread around the sides. And um, I just find that really nice. And then the other thing is they have these O-rings inside, which I didn't know what O-rings were before. (laughs) Uh, Probably should never refer to them to anyone other than other bag enthusiasts. (laughs) But basically, it's just this ring so you can clip things to it. And they, they make a whole suite of different kinds of tiny like zip organizers or you know, see-through wallet type things. And you basically clip it to that. And that way, that stuff's in your bag. So I have like, I got one from Sea Online, um, gave me this, what they call a dongle bag. I hate the word dongle, so I refuse to call it that. (laughs) And it's got, you know, my any of the iOS chargers I'm packing or, you know, a couple other doodads on my headphones. And what this does, by having it clipped in the bag, you're like, who cares? It's still just sitting in your bag. Well, when you open your bag to do something, you can just basically throw this out of the bag and it's tethered. So it's like, get all this crap out of my face, but now I'm not going to accidentally leave without it. I'm not going to leave it on a table, anything like that. If I try to move my bag and be like, oh yeah, I got to stuff this thing back in. And so 
Um, that's another fancy feature. And then I can be done talking about bags. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm digging the standy up thing. The, the fact that, cause there's a picture of it just like on a floor open and you can see like the person's laptop and they have a water bottle and there's like a banana in there because bananas. And I just, <laughs> I just, I like that idea of it doesn't just hold stuff, but Sometimes you're going to want to take some of that stuff out and you're not going to want to just turn it over and dump it out like you're trying to find, you know, the keys at the bottom of a big purse in a bad 90s sitcom. And like I don't it changes the shape of it, right? Cuz it has to actually have like a flat bottom that's sewn yeah. to be flat all the time and that changes the way that it looks and it does make it look a little bit bulkier, but for the utility of actually being able to get things in and out like if you're, yeah. you know, if, if you're out in the, the, the field, like you took it up into the mountains, if you want to draw and then like put your stuff away and then like walk another, you know, hundred yards and find another spot to sit down and draw and like get a different view on the mountains or something, you need the convenience of being able to go in and out really easy. So like, I'm, I'm, I'm with you on this. Like I could totally gush about this kind of nonsense. Cause I've had <laughs> bags that look like super fashionable and I'm like, oh, I love the way this looks. Like I, I wear this and I look all professional and it looks great, but I hate using it. Yeah. Well, and this is, I want to stress the pictures kind of, it's hard to tell how big this bag is not very big. Um, and I find that to be a plus cause I, I like the messenger bag idea, but the bigger ones tempt you to pack more, which tempts you, tempts you to destroy your shoulder. Um, you know, I have other messenger bags and it just kind of, um, you know, by the end of a day, if I packed it to capacity, it's just like destroying my back and it's just not a good way to live. Yeah. That, that's the, the ultimate drawback of the messenger bag is the, the pulling on the shoulder. But I mean, you can't look professional and wear a suit with a backpack. You just can't, you <laughs> no, literally can't. You look like a, a, a proselytizer going around neighborhoods. Yeah. You, you it's just it's it's the fanny pack thing like it doesn't matter how good the utility is it just looks silly but anything else you want to say about this bag no i mean just check the show notes if you're curious about why i like this bag is it uh do you feel like the construction's pretty solid because it looks like it's got a kind of a, a nylon-y sort of look almost like it, a timbuktu bag it seems super strong super super nice nice definitely not an affiliate link but maybe one day <laughs> Um, so we're going to talk about Windows 10 and what Microsoft is doing with their upgrade harassment. And and before we do this, I the more I was thinking about this, I was reading some articles uh, on the plane uh, when I was I was coming back this weekend, and um, we rip on Microsoft a lot. Like, yeah, I mean, there's just no way around it. Like, we we rip on them, and they're there's certain things like with Microsoft research where it's like fun to poke at them. Cause it's like, Oh, come on, you guys have all these good ideas, like get them in the market. And, and there's lots of times where we are, uh, you know, badgering, but it, it's kind of out of jest. Uh, <laughs> this is not going to be that. No, <laughs> this, this is, is not playful. <laughs> no, this is, this is not negative because it's Microsoft. This is, is bad. So, <laughs> Uh, to make sure everybody's starting with the same background information, um, when Windows 10 was first announced, they said it's going to be a free upgrade for a year, or they use some vague language like at least a year or <laughs> up to a year or something, because they wanted to heavily, heavily, heavily incentivize people to upgrade to Windows 10 from 7 or, or 8. Uh, and 
at first it was like, hey, you should upgrade to Windows 10. Windows 10's awesome. And then it was like, hey, we, we downloaded Windows 10. So whenever you're ready, you can just push that upgrade button and we're going to upgrade for you. <laughs> And then it was like, oh, hey, we just put it into the recommended update. So unless you tell us not to, we're going to install it. And then recently they crossed a barrier that is so shady. I, I am <laughs> legitimately shocked. They actually made it so that when the, the notification thing pops up and says, hey, it's time. We're going to schedule this upgrade, okay? We've already downloaded the bits. This is happening. Make peace with it. And there's a button that says, like, okay, let's do it right now. And there's a button that says, like, okay, let's do it later. <laughs> and if you click the X, what you're actually doing is signifying you just want to do it later. Because yeah. if you read the actual text of the, the update notification, what it says is, this is going to happen so you know, not can we do this? Not, Hey dude, are you, are, are you cool? Are we cool? Like we're cool, right? It's just, we're going to do this whether you like it or not, just so you know, and clicking the X Microsoft actually confirmed. Yes. The correct behavior is that that signifies you read the notification. Yeah. And it was just like, what? It's like, I actually had to read a couple different articles to make sure I understood what was happening here. Yeah, and it just it feels so desperate. Like they they just want an install base at any cost, and are resorting to this like social engineering approach. I mean, it's just it's just really bad. And you know, even if you want to empathize with Microsoft and be like, you know, for security reasons, for the future of the platform, like there's lots of good user reasons you should be on Windows 10. It's a good update. You know, I I have it installed on my iMac and boot camp, and. You know, I'm not a big Windows guy, but it seems pretty solid for Windows. It's like, it's Windows, and it's stable, and it works well. Um, but nonetheless, people have legacy software, they have configuration set up, they have all kinds of reasons that even if they want to eventually be on Windows 10, they need to choose carefully when they do it. And this is just going to, even if, even if it's only like a half of a half of a percent of your users that have something catastrophic happen, those headlines are going to murder you in the press. And the the, the anecdotal stories of pe your customers, um, users of your mach your machines and your your software, it's they're never going to outlive this, are they? And people are just going to always be going like Microsoft doesn't care about you. They're just going to do whatever they want. <laughs> like it's going to be this narrative of it's not yours, it's theirs. And that is exactly the narrative I find so fascinating because I th I fully believe that if they had gotten everyone onto Windows 10 and then started making big sweeping changes and big, you know, rearranging the interface and, and removing features and adding features and changing existing features, everyone would have been happy or unhappy depending on the change. But I think there would have been a general understanding like, well, this is Windows as a service. Like, I understand that this is now it's, – it's like using, you know, Gmail. Like, I don't get to decide if something is added to Gmail or taken away. All I get to decide is if I use Gmail or not. That's just the yeah. nature of, you know, platform as a service, software as a service, OS as a service, whatever it is. If it's as a service, you've surrendered control over that kind of thing. But – People who use Windows 
for all of the reasons we have ever complained about, like Microsoft is so obsessed with backwards compatibility, they refuse to ever break ties with the past. The times they have tried to break ties with the past, they did it in like the sloppiest way that <laughs> you could imagine. Like people expect Microsoft to be like this stable enterprise, safe for business product. And when they saw Windows 10, they're like, well, well, we'll upgrade to that eventually, maybe, but we have. You know, like you said, we have legacy software we have to support. We have uh, physical hardware that relies on these like old drivers and we can't upgrade because then like the x-ray machine won't work or whatever. It's like Windows 7 and older only. But people thought by not upgrading to Windows 10, they were either preventing or staving off the idea of, well, once I go to Windows 10, then I'm not going to own the OS anymore. But by them reaching backwards in time into Windows 8 (laughs) boxes and into Windows 7 boxes and being like, no, no, you never owned the OS. It was always ours. It's like, I don't think that's true. I think two years ago, you would have been like, no, of course you own the OS. You know, we're just the people who made it. We're just just live in your world. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. And and to, to see that barrier being crossed is what I find so staggering. Like, I just can't believe that they would actually do this. <laughs> I, mean, I mean, this is short-sighted for anyone, but for such a huge company with such a long pedigree to make such an obviously bad decision. Yeah. And, I mean, I know Microsoft has always lived on the proprietary side along with Apple as far as even though they have an open ecosystem of hardware, it's still very much their software. It's not like Linux or, or Android or something where there's um, implied in the, from the very foundations that this is an, an open thing. Um, but nonetheless, uh, this narrative is very surprising to me. Um, I just, I can't see how, like, the, did they not think this would happen, that there would be this negative press and, like, just this negative core user experience of, even if it's a good new system, users are just going to be, they're just going to be talking to everyone they know about like, oh my God, I'm so, I don't even know what happened to my computer. Um, I've seen videos on YouTube of like a, a gamer who's streaming his game and then his game just quits and it starts updating to Windows 10 in the <laughs> middle of his stream. And he was totally unaware and you know, I, I think that's a design failure on Microsoft. Even if you want to be aggressive with pushing the upgrade, you then have to do your due diligence to make sure users really understand what they're dismissing or choosing, um, make it unmistakable. And I think they were kind of like, no, we don't want them to really know they're saying they're going to get it because they'll be happy later. We'll make them love it. So. I think they should update. You remember that Google Plus comic that was like, why don't they love me, Father? And it's like, I will (laughs) make them love you. (laughs) I want to see a Windows 10 version of that. (laughs) So, I mean, can you you imagine that they... Like, you've seen Fight Club, I assume, right? You have to have seen Fight Club. So, you know, right near the beginning when uh, he's on the, the plane and he explains to the terrified person in the seat next to him how the recall works like we calculate you know the cost of people dying and lawsuits versus the cost of a recall and if the cost of the lawsuits is less than the recall we don't do a recall doesn't this sort of feel like that (laughs) like someone actually said 
is the long-term value to Microsoft of everybody being, or, you know, the vast, vast majority of people, 95% of their customers moving to Windows 10 right now so they can immediately stop thinking about Windows 7 and Windows 8. Is that worth the the short-term blowback? And they appear to have decided that, yes, yes, <laughs> it is totally worth the short-term blowback. Is it going to be a short-term blowback? <laughs> I I just, I want to believe it's not. But my, my fear is uh, most hardcore Windows people are... Uh, in the enterprise, right? Where it may not be up to them because consumers aren't their customers anymore. I think consumers, I think consumers are still their customers, but it's just a a matter of, of the ratio where the enterprise is the vast majority of their customers. And if you are using um, like the enterprise edition of windows or, or whatever it's called, where it can be centrally managed by like central it, none of this is a concern. This only affects the consumers. And because the consumers are a much smaller part of their market, then maybe they really just were like, you know what? It's worth the risk. Like, what are we going to do? We're going to lose them all. Fine. We're going to lose them all. And it'd be cool if it wasn't that flippant, but this behavior is, I mean, this is like spyware level behavior. Yeah. Like they are hijacking the functionality that is inherent to their user interface to trick you into a behavior you did not mean to take. Yeah. And the link we have in the show notes is Paul Therat, which you've been pointing to me a lot, just enjoying, because this is like a classic Microsoft. He's like a John Gruber for Microsoft kind of guy. <laughs> And just to watch him lay in the Microsoft is really entertaining. Um. Yeah, there's a line toward the end of uh, this particular article that just says, my God, Microsoft, just stop. (laughs) 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 I mean, so so Steve Gibson and and a few other uh, people um, have released utilities that have to, like, do registry edits and all kinds of, like, trickanery to stop these automatic windows 10 updates because you as a user just can't stop them (laughs) (laughs) so you have to have something that like on a schedule i guess is like deleting the downloaded bits if they get there and it's like preventing it from connecting to the server where those bits are coming from like but i mean microsoft has the upper hand here like they can push a different patch that disables this utility from working or they can change the vector by which they get the bits under your system like this is a little bit terrifying people are like microsoft is becoming resistant to our antibiotics (laughs) it is it's becoming a super virus (laughs) but i just i i don't the reason i find this so upsetting is not that they're doing it right that is no question upsetting the oh my god this is so upsetting part is I don't really see a world in which they don't get away with this. <laughs> I mean, who, who on the consumer side, someone who still uses Windows, like your average consumer Windows user, is this really going to break them? If, well, they, if they stuck with Microsoft through Windows 8, is being forced onto the latest version of Windows, which is objectively better than the previous version of Windows, is this really going to be the thing that breaks them? Well, even if it's objectively better, it can still be far subjectively worse. And so uh, 
just imagine the class of user that you change anything, you change where my icon is. Maybe they got really used to Windows 8's home screen, Windows area, start menu. Sorry, I forget what it's called. You, like, you, you found it. <laughs> the, the full screen, giant buttons, and you basically, it's like this person finally was like, I get it. It's like an iPad. I've got big icons, big squares to tap, and I do my thing. And now it's like, blah, modern desktop with Cortana on the bottom. And what's <laughs> happening? And um, I could just see that, you know, if you're, if you're not like loyal to Microsoft, you're not a gamer, you don't have some other like strong reason you're not going to leave anyway. And it's like, you like immediately want to throw your thing in the trash and go to the Apple store because you're like, I'm done. Like, you crossed a line. Those people exist. They do. But I have a feeling that the amount of people who would do that is only a little bit larger than the amount of people who would be like, screw it, I'm going to install Linux. Because you know that group is not very large, right? The, the group of people who are going to be like, oh, I'll just install Ubuntu. That's not a big no, group at all. I think the consumers who use a Windows machine because it was affordable, not because they made a reasoned choice about their needs, could go, oh, I shouldn't have bought this cheap crap that gets hijacked by the company that made it. Um, maybe I'll buy something that won't do this to me next time. But if you're, you know, Joe computer user and one day your computer is suddenly on Windows 10, unless you're just, you know, your CEO Joe computer user, you probably can't just be like, screw it, I'm going to go buy a MacBook because that's an investment, right? There's there's money yeah. to be spent there. And by the time you, you know, put some money aside, you're ready to upgrade to a new computer, you might just have Stockholm syndrome into tolerating Windows 10 and forgotten about like, oh, no, baby, I'll never do that to you again. <laughs> it's Windows as a service now. Like, I, this is why I'm this is so scary to me, because I really feel like there's a good chance that as crappy as this is and how right everyone is for the vitriol that the average person can't just throw their their Dell in the garbage and go buy a, a MacBook. Well, they'll they're, buy a Chromebook, and it'll be just as cheap, which ironically will be, be awesome. an OS that also updates whenever it wants. Um, but, but you know what you're getting into. Yeah, exactly. And it's it's not the UI that dramatically changes the way major versions of Windows does. And so even if your Chromebook upgraded between six different versions, you still still just looks like a Chrome browser. That's <laughs> <laughs> true. But I mean, no one in the enterprise is going to be able to do that. Granted, they're not being tricked into the update, but no. they're going to have to update eventually. Yeah. So all of those people are basically cut off from going the Chromebook or, or even most likely the MacBook route. And I really think most consumers are just going to be like, oh, God, I hate this, but I don't have the money to go buy another computer any, or I don't want to go buy another computer. It's just so dangerous to give your consumers that I hate this moment because you know, Google needs to seize on that. Um, we all know how Google's record is on properly marketing their good <laughs> stuff. <laughs> or, and I'm, Apple has always had this sort of, hey, come here, it's easy, we won't hurt you. Just just come pay us $1,000 for one of these things. Um, I don't know, it's just a dangerous thing to risk the the story that never dies of, oh my God, Windows just does whatever it wants. You can't trust that thing. I absolutely agree. And and I, I am hopeful that I'm wrong and that this 
they absolutely pay for this. Like, I don't want to see the company fail, but I don't really know how they can come back from this because, <laughs> I mean, you know, like for every Twitch streaming guy who was in the middle of something and it was like, haha, Windows 10 now, like, you know, there's 50 or 100 people who just woke up one morning and they're like, oh, I'm going to check Facebook before I go to work. And they sat down at their computer and it was suddenly Windows 10 because it had updated overnight. And they were like, oh, what? And now a, a lot of those people are probably, they will sort of forget about it. And by the time they're ready to buy a new computer, like the, the ickiness may be far back in their mind. But they're going to go to their you know their friend or their coworker or their the tech blog that they like and they're going to say, hey, it's 2018. I'm ready to upgrade my computer. What should I buy? And no sensible person is going to be like, well, Microsoft's track record has been great. <laughs> so you should definitely buy an HP that has Windows 10 on it. Yeah. Well, I can just imagine the person that professionally uses windows like say a motion animator i don't know um and like you're on a deadline you're juggling a couple projects and you wake up and there's a hours long update happening that may or may not break some of your plugins you rely on to get your job done at a in a reasonable amount of time that's gonna leave a, a pretty deep narrative mark on your soul of like uh don't do this to me uh. And even so, though it's like, oh, you're a professional, it's your fault you didn't pay attention or plan the upgrade. It's like, I don't know, Microsoft went pretty far this time. Just the idea of a completely automatic, undeniable, cannot be, there's no built-in way to tell this not to happen, right? I mean, the, the name of the utility that Steve Gibson released is called Never 10. <laughs> I, mean, I need to. <laughs> I need to link to the someone wrote the parody of the Taken movie about the update. Just like I have a particular <laughs> set of updates, we can do this right now, and I'll never bother you again. Or I will hunt you down. I will hold you down. I will force these updates down your throat. Yeah, and I don't really <laughs> want my computer to function that way. You don't and, want Liam Neeson computer. <laughs> I don't want Liam Neeson computer. But I mean, like, I uh, have no problem with the idea of a Chromebook, right? Uh, on an iOS device or an Android device, if if I have a Nexus device, because we know what the, that whole update thing is like. But I have no problem opening my mobile device and it's saying, like, hey, we are going to update this thing uh, now. And if not now, then soon, because it's time to update. Because I bought into that. Like, I bought into... Um, them having a pretty high degree of control over which version of the OS I was going to be on. But no one using Windows bought into that. No, not a single person using Windows is like, oh, I, I just want Microsoft to take me into your arms, Microsoft, to make the decisions <laughs> for me. So, uh, man, this is this is bad. I mean, they're a huge, multi-multi-billion dollar company they could almost definitely weather almost any storm, but not forever. No. Eventually, they will do enough terrible things, and enough consumers will stop doing business with them, and enough businesses will stop doing business with them that it could ruin them. So this feels like 
they are trying to bring on an extinction level event. <laughs> and I don't know why a business would do that. Uh, is it really worth it forcing it? Like they could have gone so close to this line and it would have just been kind of annoying. No, it's absolutely. Well, <laughs> I mean, in the short run, I can't believe that it's worth it. But this is this is my fear is that the average consumer, because remember, this does not affect enterprise, or at least it doesn't yet. Who knows what they're going <laughs> to fucking do? <laughs> so it, it, this doesn't affect enterprise, which is the vast majority of their customers. But uh, for the the consumer users, I'm really just really afraid that they're, your, your average PC user is just going to be like, either I don't care that this happened, I'm not happy that this happened, but not enough to do anything about it, or... I'm not happy that this happened and I can't do anything about it for financial reasons, technical reasons, whatever kind of reasons. You know, if you're a, a PC gamer and you get forcibly upgraded to Windows 10 and you have thousands of dollars invested in Steam and you've bought VR headsets that are only going to work with Windows, you're not going to just be like, oh, well, screw this. Yeah. I'm just going to go buy a Mac. You like that would mean changing all these other parts of like your life and your hobbies. So then you're going to have people who are like, hate using your OS. <laughs> All right, let's talk about VR. <laughs> yeah, this, this is the happier part of the show. <laughs> so uh, you and I had the chance a week ago to go check out the HTC Vive at the Microsoft Store, which is the, the other prominent VR headset coming out. Um, and before that, I actually got over to a Best Buy near me and tried the Oculus Rift out. And I thought we could take, you know, probably the rest of this episode, to be honest. And uh, what was VR like? Do you think it's going to be a big deal? Or who cares about the broader thing? Did you <laughs> like trying your VR headset on? I loved the Vive. Like, I, the second I put it on... And I was looking around and, you know, just the, the very close to one-to-one -one head tracking, the, the equipment was lightweight and felt comfortable. Like I felt like I could have worn it for a long time. Uh, the Vive is the one with the like weird circle-y controllers and that they were super lightweight and super well constructed and they seemed to work really well. Uh, yeah, I was like, I was in it for all of five or 10 seconds before I was like, yep, yep, yep. This is, <laughs> this is pretty cool. I like this. And so talk through the, the demo experiences. Yeah, so the, the Microsoft store, clearly not run by the people who do Microsoft updates, uh, <laughs> they had this very nice little, like, uh, like we went in and we were like, hey, we want to try this. And they were like, oh, cool. And they had a whole little, like, canned shtick that they do. So they, they set you up, you know, you, you put the thing on, you put headphones on, they give you the controllers, and then you do three timed uh experiences and at first i was annoyed because like i wanted to keep playing and there was nobody in the store but <laughs> I, I know why they have to time them because otherwise people would just be like nah dude more let me keep doing <laughs> let me just stand here and play video games all day so uh the first one was and i think I, let, let's each talk about what we thought about each one of them so the the first one was the like the sunken ship yeah. So you are uh, standing on like the deck of a pirate ship that sunk and you can walk around and you see, you know, off into the ocean and there's fish and you can look at the ship and you can look at like the ocean floor, but you don't do. Yeah. You don't have stuff. any physical interaction with the environment. Yeah. So 
that one and you can tell from the way the order they do the demos in that they want to like work you into the idea of vr because like this is the looking around demo so you can get used to looking around and because you have headphones on that are doing uh what's the correct term is it 3d sound or or positional sound or whatever uh sure yeah sure 3d (laughs) sound so like I, I walked over to the edge of the... Oh, and it's important that the Vive is one of the ones where you actually physically move your body. It's not... The controller doesn't turn your head or make your character walk. I mean, it you, could if they programmed it that way, well, but... Yeah, but the, these demos were all like, no, if you want to walk over there, you literally have to walk over there. So I like walked over to the edge of the railing and I like you know leaned over and looked literally looked down over the railing like at the ocean floor and this like giant whale swims up and they're kind of expecting you to be like looking out into the ocean and around at your surroundings. But somehow this thing managed to sneak up on me. <laughs> even though It's like one of the largest creatures on the planet. And, but it was like, it was, I really felt I, like when I turned and it was like right there. Cause I could suddenly hear it coming like that, that, you know, dumb part of my monkey lizard brain was like, Oh God, that whale is going to crash into me. <laughs> And I mean, the graphics are not, you know, we're not over the uncanny valley. Like you can tell you're looking at computer graphics. It's not even as good as some like CGI movies that I've seen, but it still is immersive enough that I was like, whoa. Well, I mean, your brain suspends that and you be, you you kind of sink into the experience anyway. It's I, I never forgot that I was in VR. It wasn't like I was like, this is my life now. <laughs> but nonetheless, like you're just like you get a new pair of shoes. Eventually, your brain's not really going, hey, those are new. Those are new. Feel those. Those are new. Like you get used to it. And so, yeah, I, I've since I had already tried the Oculus, I actually think the Oculus had cooler passive experiences um, which, I mean, it's not like the the first demo you have is going to make or break the entire platform or something. Um, but the the Vive really shined for me with the controllers because with the Oculus, you just use an Xbox controller. And so it's, I mean, you can still walk around, um, but for the times when you want that one-to-one, you want your hands to really be in the world, the Vive's just got a much more interesting uh, input mechanism right now. Yeah, the controllers look silly. I mean, honestly, they're kind of silly looking. Yeah, they look but, like they're going to launch like a little circular flyer thing, like those little toys where you like yeah, you pull the thing and then it like hovers up. <laughs> like you pull the ripcord and yeah. it, like, it goes like... <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh, man, toys were better when we were children because <laughs> because why not? Uh, no, so I, I felt... Because uh, I didn't get to try the Oculus, unfortunately, so I don't have the, the, the point of reference, but... I was immediately drawn to, because as I've said a million times, like I want the holodeck, like I was immediately drawn to the idea of if I'm going to do something with my hands, I have to like literally physically do that action. And and so let's talk about the second one uh, in this demo, which was weirdly enough made by Google. So it was a Windows 10 computer with the HTC Vive, and then we're doing this Google (laughs) demo. So there's this weird mishmash of things, but... Uh, it was what was it called? Something paint or, or brush? Uh, light br- was it light brush? Uh, I'm just gonna Google it right now while you that, talk. That is the best way to do it. Uh, so this is, and and I think we actually linked to tilt a demo brush. Of tilt brush. Thank you. Uh, we we may have linked to a video of this in a, a previous episode where we talked about VR because I know I saw this demo, but even just seeing the demo in the video, I was 
there's still something that doesn't translate. So going into this particular demo, I was like, I know exactly what I'm about to get into. I understand exactly how this works and what the objective is. You have, uh, it's basically Photoshop in three dimensions, right? So I can uh, choose like a red paintbrush and then just draw out into the air in, in any direction, right? And it just holds fast wherever I told it to paint. Because uh, we, we should mention, I, I forgot to say, the controllers have triggers on the back and then like touchpad, uh, almost like a steam controller circle on yeah, the front. Yeah, and you can press those too. Yeah, you can press them and you can use them kind of like an iPod click wheel. Um, so in the, the, the tilt brush, I was like, oh, okay, I can like select colors and then I can select like an oil paintbrush or spray, you know, spray can yeah. like uh, MS Paint style and then just like paint out in the air. And you did way better with that demo than I did. Until I tripped over my cable and turned everything off, which That's, just was that, a painful was reminder. <laughs> a painful reminder that I really want these things to be wireless as soon as possible. Um, or, the, or, or PC backpack? Will you do a PC backpack? Yeah, probably not. Um, the other <laughs> option, I guess, is to have the cable feed up through a hook in the ceiling or something just to keep it away from your feet. Um, that could be yeah. nice, but then you might be tempted to spin around a million times and then you got to take it down and whatever. There's lots of like real world <laughs> painful things. Like how many people just have a dedicated, like an entire room in their house. They can say, sorry, kid, you don't have a room anymore. <laughs> Daddy's got a vibe. <laughs> I got to have my VR room. Um, Go outside and play. <laughs> I really thought this, you know, the demo is like, even though it's pretty basic, it's like pick a color, pick a certain way of splotching it into the world and move your arms. But even in that tiny glimpse, I'm like, oh, I want to do all kinds of media creation this way. Like, yeah, when I want to dial in the perfect details, I want to sit in a comfy chair at a desk in front of a monitor and drag a mouse, you know, millimeters at a time. But I could see for all kinds of rough sculpting and trying things out that vr is going to be pretty transformative and i mean i know the hololens was kind of presented as being transformative for this too and i would love to try that as well um but this just got me going of like oh my god i want to do this for like hours yeah i mean it i i would have the whale one was neat because it's like oh i can imagine walking around you know, like a virtual version of the Louvre or, or Paris or, you know, some some amazing city I've never been to or some some impossible place like some super HD rendering of like the surface of Mars. Right. Like all of those things, those exploratory things that are strictly uh, a symphony for the sites is yeah. fine. Um, I, I, I think those are and gonna how be far are we from Google Street View VR being like a consumer product, basically? Oh, certainly. Or, or even just like a simple game like Journey, like I would, I would sit next to someone playing Journey with a VR headset on, just because the artwork in Journey was so beautiful, yeah. right? And just, just let like, me be assume I'm riding on their back and I just can look around at whatever I want. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, but with Tilt Brush, um, the thing that I kept doing, which I'm sure made me look like a toddler using crayons for the first time, was I was I would like grab any random color and then like just in front of me do a big circle with my arm and do and then pull my arm toward me so now i have like a spiral and then i would lean like literally squat down and lean my head into the spiral and then like look up through the rungs and like look down through the rungs and that to me was that's where my brain started to be like oh okay <laughs> like 
this is a physical object that like has properties that you can interact with. And one of them is that it's opaque. So you have to literally look around it, right? It's yeah. not like a chest high wall in Uncharted where you just press the stand up button, but really it's a third person camera. So you could always see over the chest high wall. Like this is like, if, if the paint is right in front of me, I actually have to move my body or you yeah. know, use a tool to like remove the paint. And that, that immersion thing is, is, it just doesn't translate even the way we're describing it it just doesn't yeah. translate well and similar to like painting little swirls and then you know like gandalf's little like pipe smoking in the lord of the rings and then wanting to like stick your head through it um <laughs> i one of the oculus demos was basically like a, a little sims world and you were standing next to like a whole city of sims stuff and so there's cars and there's like people going around but the really like crazy moment that was like, Oh, that's funny. Little tiny people. Um, you can lean into the building and you feel like the BFG, like picking up the little girl or something (laughs) like you, you stick your head right next to the window and you can see that the room is super detailed. There's a bed, there's posters, there's a bookshelf. And that was just like, Oh, holy shit. This is really cool. Um, kind of moment. That's what I want. Like, that's the exact kind of stuff where I'm like, yes, more, how do I make more of this be in my life? (laughs) Uh, and then there was the the interactive thing, which the I, I made a bad choice on Oculus. So they had a similar thing of like the first couple were easy, like you're on a rooftop and you can look down, but you can't really go anywhere or do anything. And then their middle one was uh, they had like a lot of shorter ones. So instead of like five minutes on the boat, it was like one minute or less in the city skyscraper then you're on some alien planet and there's an alien next to you and there's a ship taking off. But then the really cool one was a T-Rex comes pounding down like the hallway in like a, a museum and then like screams in your face and then runs past you. And the whole time you're just like, whoa. <laughs> um, but then the, you get a choice on the Oculus to either do, I don't even remember the details of the one I didn't pick, um, but I think uh, I'd have to look it up. But the one I did pick, which was a poor choice, was called The Climb, which is by Crytek. They actually developed this. And it was basically your mountain climber. You're in Boulder, Colorado or something, and you're climbing up the face of a rock. And you can turn and look uh, like out at the landscape you know, away from. But like 99% of that demo was rock face one inch away. <laughs> and it was just like this was... Why would this be your demo? A ladder climbing simulator where you're like, man, look at how beautifully rendered this ladder is. Yeah. But on the Vive, well, tell us about that one. So this one was the one where, because the, the, the first one, the, the you know wrecked ship or, or drowned ship or whatever it was called, like that one, can, and this is why their demo was so beautifully arranged, is that one really cemented in my mind, like, okay, I understand how to move about in the universe and kind of look and and the tracking is very good so it doesn't make me nauseous or anything awesome and then the second one you actually use the controllers so you get an idea for where your hand placement is and because the tracking is so good and because they they you know unlike with like a Wiimote because I think a lot of people who haven't done this are probably doing what I did which is thinking about like how the Wiimote worked and the Wiimotes suck and I never liked the the Wiimotes. This is super stable and sturdy. It's, it's moving exactly like your hand is. So unless you're trembling, like an, uh, you know, uh, 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 you're holding something really heavy out in front of you. The thing isn't trembling. And that was something that always bothered me about the Wii is it that I don't know. 
I don't know what makes the tracking on the Wii behave the way it does, but if you are like playing Super Mario Galaxy and you want to collect stars and you try and hold like that little finger pointer still, it's shaking, like it's vibrating furiously <laughs> in all directions. And and the Vive was not like that because most people like un- unless you have something wrong with your your hands and you can't hold them still, you're really not moving that much. Like your hands are actually fairly steady because they're precision instruments, and the tracking on the Vive reflects that. So if you hold you know the Vive controller right out in front of you, which helps that it's so lightweight, you know the paintbrush stays perfectly still. So you could do precision sculpting and you could do precision drawing and things and. And that was awesome. And then when it gets to the third one, which is space pirate training or something, <laughs> something silly like that, uh, you it, it's basically a uh, like super simplified tower defense where you are standing on the deck of like a little spaceport, and these little robots that look kind of like uh, Eve from Wally uh, <laughs> f- fly up from below the deck. And waves, so there's, there's. I think you got through like eight or nine waves, like you killed it, and I, I only got through like three or four. I died twice really quickly, and then I had like my like turning on my super mode or something. <laughs> you just had to get a feel for the rules of the universe. But the, you know, they fly up, and you have your two controllers, so you can either be dual wielding guns. Um, and you could change, like, does the gun fire lasers? Does it fire like a, a Ghostbusters looking like beam? Yeah. Um, or you could. If you reached be literally reached behind your back, and I feel like an idiot saying literally, but I mean it's it's a video game where you actually have to take a physical motion. So like my brain is having trouble. <laughs> right? It's like you don't press X to reach behind your back. You put your hand over your shoulder, and then when you pull that hand back, instead of a gun in that hand, you had a shield. In and it was that like hand. startling because you're like, wait, that actually happened. I've got, I have a shield. <laughs> yes, and it's almost like why is the weight of my hand not different? Now I have a different thing in my hand. Like there's still a, a little minor cognitive dissonance but when you uh pull the shield out because i immediately went for the shield i was like i want one gun and one shield and i'm left-handed so you know i've I've got the shield in my right hand the gun in my left hand and this is where as as the 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 10 year old in me like who watched star trek and and saw the holodeck this was what sold it for me because in a game like uncharted or fallout or borderlands or you know any of the the bro duty shooters like there's cool things you can make the character do but they're either hard because it's like press these 50 buttons to do this thing or it's like press x to be a total badass and then you're like neat that looked cool but (laughs) i i didn't really do anything but in this you know, the, the little robots come up and like you have to literally hold your hand up and shoot them. So if they're way up high, you have to hold your hand up high. If they're way down low, you have to point down low. If they're right in front of you, you got to hold your hand right in front of you. If they're behind you, you got to turn around. And where the, the the exact moment, I could tell you exactly what happened where I was like, yes, this is what <laughs> I this is how I want to play this kind of video game is on like the third or fourth wave. They start behaving a little bit smarter where they'll go and like flank you so now they're they're on opposite sides of you and to make the game a little more uh, approachable to the player when they actually start firing at you it kind of goes into like bullet time so you know if you're being shot at even if you're not looking directly at the one that's shooting you and i'm looking at the one that i was trying to shoot down and it's not shooting me but the game had just gone into bullet time which meant the one behind me was shooting at me and i just held my arm out behind me which held the shield up behind me 
And when that, because that was my natural response is like, I have a shield in my hand. I'm going to hold it so they don't shoot me in the back of the head. Like, no video game would allow that. There, I cannot yeah. think of a single video game where I could say, I'm going to do a thing that was not a pre-programmed action available to my character. Like in, in Last of Us, you can beat guys to death with a brick, but you know what you can't do? Break their knees with a brick. Like, that's just not yeah. an option. It's not something that's available to you in the game. But in like a VR world, the, the, the physics engines are going to have to now be designed to account for shenanigans like if 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 the player is clever and also super flexible and super nimble then you're going to have to if you want an immersive experience you're going to have to allow that player to do dumb things you may not have considered so you're going to need a a a general purpose engine that can respond to to these stimuli so uh, i'm i'm imagining like uh you know an enemy comes into the room you're in and you can like pick up a chair and like smash the chair over their head. And it's like, you don't equip the chair. The chair doesn't have to be like a weapon. You add to your inventory, but it's a chair. It has the properties of a chair. And one of those properties is that you can clutch somebody with it. And I'm sure like most good games though, there will be a compromise in the middle of like, they're not going to 100% model the, well, you grabbed the wrong corner of the chair. And so your leverage is thus this, and <laughs> therefore it's not a useful weapon because you're throwing it terribly. Um, it'll be like, you'll still like point your hand at it and press the trigger to grab, and then it'll grab sensibly. And right. that like you grabbing it and you swinging it will be the things that matter because you otherwise want to be a badass. Um, not someone that can't pick up chairs very properly. <laughs> um, which, you know, this is actually a good uh, shift to uh, the this video I'm including in the show notes, which you can find at sunriserobot.net slash flipping table slash 122. And another reminder to hit up our Reddit community, um, which will be linked. Uh, there's this game called Budget Cuts, which I don't know exactly why it's called Budget Cuts. Um, but in this game, you are a spy breaking into some kind of corporation um, some kind of office building, and it's full of these pretty stupid robots. Like they just they walk very predetermined patterns, um, but you are very vulnerable. You basically can't get hit ever once, and so it's a game of sneaking. Um, and even though the Vive and the Oculus let you walk around, you obviously don't have an entire office building set up for VR. So I think a lot of games are going to be deciding when you walking around is important and when. Uh, other methods of transportation are important. And in this game, obviously you want to be able to crouch behind things, you want to be able to peek around corners, but actually traversing the building, um, you're not going to be doing that walking. And so the game mechanic here is, for some reason you have this little ball you can throw, and wherever you throw it, you will teleport to. So, and they uh, use... It, it's like portals if they were tennis balls <laughs> yeah exactly and you don't have to you don't have to make two portals it's just you go to where the ball lands um and so you need to watch this is a video by uh, the channel called node and it's a bunch of guys and they're all kind of laughing and joking around as they play this game and they're very entertaining you should watch this video and one of the guys always does three point like landings like a superhero every time he teleports like he's the terminator arriving and, and they're definitely <laughs> laughing at him but in, and he's he's taking it in stride but you can tell like he's just having a blast living this you know the the fantasy kind of escapism experience that video games afford you as a player and i'm like watching this i I actually have a plan right now while we're talking but i'm just like yeah 
I want to do that. Yeah, and it's like it might be a fun game with a controller, but like it looks like a really good case for when being immersed can be really satisfying and fun. Because you see him peeking over ledges and peeking over like into like sometimes he has to throw the ball through like a mail slot, and I guess it's just part of this universe is hey, you can teleport anywhere, you can throw this thing, um, but it, it plays up the physicality well because your only weapon is throwing knives, and these guys suck at throwing the throwing knives. <laughs> Well, and I, I love just a little attention to detail thing is uh, you because when you set up the Vive, you pick your handedness. So the the game responds correctly with the UI. And in in this game, you actually hold the knives in one hand. And so you have multiples of them. And that's like your your clip, so to speak. And then you have to grab the one you're going to throw with the other hand. And so that creates a a strategy element where you have to say like, well, if I miss the first time, I have three more knives in my other hand. If I miss the third time, I only have one knife left in my hand. And then I'm going to have to like <laughs> re-knife myself. I don't just have, you know, unlimited knives or 50 knives or something. So it's the little uh, gameplay UX stuff like that will make it more immersive instead of just, oh, every time I swing my arm, another magic knife appears in my hand, right? Because like, where'd that yeah. magic knife come from? <laughs> Yeah, and I just thought this game, even if in five years we're going to look back and be like, look how primitive this thing is. Um, <laughs> I just, I'm, in, I'm excited to see how, what decisions game designers make for what's fun versus what is immersive or, or like, where will we draw the line on? Like, I'm not going to walk, you know, a million miles in a Fallout game. But how would VR make that way cooler? And, you know, some of it may just be, yeah, just use a controller and sit down. And, like, the only VR thing is that you're wearing it and you look around. Um, and I, maybe that will be fine for most experiences. But th the game ideas that use the physicality of the one-to-one -one are going to be the, the, like, whoa, this is the future kind of thing. So you, you're you a big Nintendo fan, a notorious Nintendo fan. <laughs> and <laughs> infamous yeah exactly uh do you i i i like the wii um i i wanted for a while to get a playstation move and then it was obvious that that was a dead-end product uh but even with the wii although i enjoy playing wii games and i like using the wiimote when it is a game meant for the wiimote um i don't recall being giddy excited about it like it, it just seemed like oh here's a neat way to interact with the game it's a new controller from nintendo's wacky shop of wackiness uh but this like i'm i'm like i'm giddy about this i i, <laughs> I really think that even at the current level of of uh development i guess you would say that this is is I mean, I don't know that I have the money to invest in this, but like, I think if you had the money to invest in this stuff right now, it is worth the money. Like, it, it is yeah. it is worth the time and effort commitment. If you have those resources available, you will have fun. It is not gimmicky anymore. We we've crossed some some threshold. Yeah, um, I'm with you there. I mean, I I remember like in whenever the year before the Wii came out, oh five or something. Um, I was I was pretty excited for the the controller, partly because their marketing made it seem a lot better than it was. <laughs> That's um, true. That's very true. Before we all realized that it was really wee bowling and nothing else that mattered. <laughs>
We tennis was okay. <laughs> it was okay. Um, I said okay. <laughs> and so I was hyped before the first Wii, but Wii U was just like, hey, I'm going to get some HD Nintendo games and not really anything else I was excited about. <laughs> well, and the, even the wacky tablet thing, I feel like they haven't really taken that to the cool places it might have gone. It's more just like, you get an iPad with yeah. your Wii. There's a your really Wii. big controller that you don't really want to hold for very long. <laughs> yeah, the, I mean, one thing about VR that is a silly metric, but it feels like a valuable metric, is people are fully aware of how stupid they look using it, and they are still willing to do it where other people can see them. Yeah, they don't care. It kind of crosses that care factor of like, this is so fun to do, I don't mind looking insane. I would love to play. There's got to be like a Fruit Ninja demo, right? Like <laughs> I would, I, I would love to uh, put down like one of the Vive controllers and just hold the other one, or maybe have like a sword in each hand, and then just 360 like fruit coming at you from all angles. <laughs> because that that's a game like that. I didn't even think of this when this first crossed my mind. I just thought it would be fun, but a game like that would work really well because you the game mechanic is designed around the world coming at you, not you going to the world. So that, yeah. that kind of gets you away from the problem of like, do you have a 30 by 30 foot room to play around with this <laughs> thing? In? Oh man. I'm, I'm how much, how, how much is the Vive by itself? Just, I think hardware, it's like know? 800. Oof. It's something really like I, I was going to bring this up that in spite of like I thought the Oculus had better software in its demo. I thought the Vive has the way more interesting controller, but I'm probably going to get a PSVR just because of cost of entry. Um, and I, I actually think Sony will throw a significant weight behind creating games for this thing. Um, hopefully they don't Vita it and after a year it's kind of dried up into nothing. Well, do you have any concern that it's going to be PlayStation Move 2.0? Or do you feel like the PlayStation Move was them trying to copy the wrong thing? Copying the Wii was not the right thing to copy. <laughs> Copying the, the Vive is the right thing to copy. The Move was kind of like, because Sony and Microsoft were both like very public in mockery of the Wii for being gimmicky. <laughs> and at the same time, they're both like, oh, we better do some of that. <laughs> 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 oh man, that's um, so dumb. Can can someone in, in research get on that, please? <laughs> can can you can you get Cindy and her team working on this? Um, yeah, you're you're right. Eight hundred bucks. Yeah, and the Oculus is five hundred. I mean, and also if you don't already have a gaming PC, then just add another thousand bucks um to get a solid machine. Um yep. that's why I you know, my first entry, my first toe dip will probably be the PlayStation VR. And I know the the graphics horrors that listen to the show will be like, How can you even live with <laughs> you know, if it's not ten eighty, hundred twenty hertz, like go home. Like I want four K in each eye. Um <laughs> I could like these were high end gaming PCs that both of these demos like they showed the specs um, and you know these were good gaming machines and I could still tell there was a little screen door there's a little like hey these are computer graphics and my brain didn't care and I don't think that will matter even at the PS4 level um, my brain's gonna go this isn't real but man is it cool well until they get to the point where they're trying to be like, no, dude, it is real, where your brain has to struggle. I mean, it's the Uncanny Valley problem. Like, when you're way on the the, the close side of the Uncanny Valley, 
it's not a problem because your brain can watch the Simpsons and recognize that they're humanoid, but that they couldn't possibly really exist. <laughs> right. Like Bart has no hair. It's just as he has a spiky head. Like it may, it makes no yeah. sense. Right. But you, you, you suspend disbelief and everything's fine. And for uh, a lot of games, they can have a realistic art style and they can try and push those boundaries. And I want people to do that. I want, the holodeck. So let's keep plugging away at that problem. But uh, you can also have a, a wildly successful game that d- has arguably not particularly good graphics, like a Team Fortress 2. Like a Team Fortress 2 would be phenomenal in this kind of equipment, yeah. but the graphics aren't, they don't look realistic. Everything is intentionally cartoony and it would be fine and your brain would just deal with it because if your eyes perceive something is about to hit you in the face, like somebody throws a, you know, a bomb or a grenade or whatever, or you see them throwing down a turret and you, your natural reaction will be to physically duck behind the wall or, or to, you know, run down a hallway or whatever, because your brain has accepted this is the way the world looks and you don't want to take a grenade to the face. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, the level of impressive graphics is so relative anyway. I mean, people freaked out about Shenmue, and now you look at it and you're like, <laughs> <laughs> blurry as hell. Oh my God, look at that terrible sink of the talking. And so whatever like whatever advantage PC gaming has, I really think the frame rate matters and the one to, the feeling of one to oneness matters, but it you're right, it can be cartoony, it can be you know relatively weak graphics as long as it's an immersive art direction and experience um you know it could look like you know like p s one graphics if if the gameplay and feel of it was still super fun, that would be fine yeah i'm I'm totally with you. I am, though, looking at the PlayStation VR, and I didn't realize that the controllers it uses are the Move controllers. Yep. Which is fine as long as they don't do the crazy twitching that, like, the Wii's controllers do. Yeah. I've never, used, I've never used the PlayStation Move controller, so I, don't, I can't speak to their tech being better. Well, but I think even if it's the exact same controller and the hardware and it hasn't changed at all. Cause I mean, I used it when it was new, like in a Best Buy, it's been years. Um, but tracking it from the front with a single camera, I think is very different than tracking it with like gyroscopes plus camera plus Bluetooth plus Wi-Fi. Like the more, what, however you can get more accurate information to, to, uh, triangulate yeah, the, the position. Yeah, and the Vive is using more than one camera, isn't it, too? Uh, it's, yeah, it's at least two, but it, it's definitely more than one because they're those little cube cameras that are, like, up yeah. in the corners of the space. It might be four, but it's I, I know it's definitely at least two. Um, and I, I'm thinking also about the PlayStation VR is you have to get the upgraded PlayStation? Do you have to get the, four, the no, PS4K? No, they, they haven't even announced that. Okay. That's the thing yet. E three is in like a week, so we'll know. Okay. So this this PlayStation VR. No, it's because is- the the PSVR has a separate box to handle the some of the the video heavy lifting. So um, the the PlayStation can focus on rendering the graphics, whereas the box can send it to 
your visor while sending a different view to the TV for anyone else who is watching. And so it's no extra load on the PlayStation itself. So I think there it comes with hardware to ease the load. I see. And have you gotten to try this or is it not no. available anywhere? I don't think it's anywhere public. It was just at like gaming conventions and stuff. Okay. Because I mean, it the the equipment looks fine, but... And I've read people say the PlayStation VR is the most comfortable, which I thought the Oculus was more comfortable than the Vive, um, noticeably, especially the the Oculus has built-in earphones, so you don't have to put on literally a different set of headphones that uh, plugs in separately, which may be a plus if you're like, hey, I love my headphones, you back off. Um, (laughs) (laughs) I will choose my headphones. (laughs) Yeah, I uh, since I didn't get to try the Oculus, I don't have the basis of comparison. But I thought the Vive was quite comfortable. Like I would have been happy to wear that for m- probably up to an hour, maybe longer. I mean, how yeah. long was the demo? Ten minutes. So it's hard yeah. to extrapolate. But I mean, I definitely when I took that thing off, I wasn't like, oh my head, oh my my eyes hurt <laughs> from the pressure. Like it was super comfortable. I didn't feel disoriented. I didn't feel nauseous. And we didn't even talk about that. Like, do you have any? Any uh, like immersion problems? Like when you put the thing on, do you feel sick? Do you feel disoriented? I didn't get any of that, which I mean, granted, none of the demos were like on a moving train or something that might kind of send your brain for a loop. But, you know, I've I've played once one time I played Metroid Prime on a projector that was like, you know, blasting an 80 foot image or something. (laughs) It was something way too big and I was sitting too close and I got really sick. Not surprised I did in that situation because, you know, whatever, the too many things moving in front of you. But I've never gotten that in general, um, gaming on a TV, gaming with handhelds, and I didn't get it with either of these VR demos. So I'm kind of confident that I'm not going to be a little sick body when I try to do this thing. But I wonder what the limits are. Well, and I feel bad for people who can't use it, right? <laughs> if they they have motion sickness issues or they have disorientation issues it's very possible that they're they're so tightly coupled between what they're seeing and what they're experiencing that until we have an honest to god holodeck it'll always make them sick and those people are going to be almost barred from these kinds of gaming experiences right they're they're not going to be able to participate in very much the same way that like a person without hands can't use a traditional controller it's just it's a it's a limitation of your physiology well it's also a new avenue for usability and accessibility like you know how can game experiences in vr be scalable in different ways so that people that are more sensitive can still enjoy your game but not end up vomiting all over their carpet every time they try to play it my understanding is that the the either the main issue or the largest issue uh that that most people are likely to experience is if you have to take a physical action for your view to change then you're going to be probably okay if your view can change without your physical body moving that's where the disorientation comes in because yeah. If my character does, you know, like quickly runs around a hall and as they're 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 running around the corner, they kind of lean a little bit. So the camera like tilts a little bit to the side, but my head is still straight up and down and I am sitting comfortably in a chair. 
then my brain is like, what is happening? Like, why is well, I, what you're seeing so different from what you're experiencing? Well, I think this is why reading in a car makes some people very car sick, which does happen to me, um, if, especially if I'm in a back seat and I'm like really trying to tear into a book and it's a bumpy road, I'm going to get sick. And so I do wonder how that will play out in VR space. Can you play like a 3DS in a car? Or is it um, the same thing? I mean, I grew up playing Game Boys in cars constantly, so I don't know. Maybe <laughs> I haven't tried it recently, but because because I've I've I know lots of people who that's where they have a problem because you know say you're playing Mario and you're what you're looking at is going left to right across your field of vision. But what you are feeling because the car is moving is like a forwards and backwards uh, kinds of pressure. And then like you make a turn and you feel like those lateral G forces. And that is what makes those people uncomfortable because their eyes are like, oh, here you are running on stepping on turtles and murdering little mushroom people and whatever. (laughs) And and then what your uh, your equilibrium is telling you is like, no, dude, you're in a car. You're in a car. You're in a car. You're in a car. You're bouncing. You're going forward. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, and fortunately, I am not wildly susceptible to that. I have a couple times played games in a car where I was just sort of like, mm, I feel a little funny, but not to the point where I even had to stop. Um, but I got yeah. nothing like that from playing the Vive. I felt 100% no, not at all. fine. Yeah. Oh, man, I want one. I'm. What I'm going <laughs> to do is let you get a PlayStation VR, try it, and then if it's good, start saving money to just buy one. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's definitely one way to do it. Yeah, so th- thanks for doing that research for me. <laughs> yep. All right, anything else to say on VR? No, it's just some company give me it. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's a good closing note. Uh, so, <laughs> so as always, you can find the show notes for this episode at sunriserobot.net slash flipping table slash 122 for the 122nd episode. Uh, Mike and I both love feedback, so if you want to get in touch with us most easily, you can find us on Twitter. I am at lines and beta, and Mike, you are? At pseudo Michael, S-U-D-O Michael. But if you want to have an actual conversation, you want to be a little bit more involved, maybe talk with some of your fellow listeners, uh, we did just spin up our Reddit community again recently. So it's uh, reddit.com slash r slash flipping tables. There'll be a link in the show notes as well. And uh, we're going to have a post for each episode so that we can be in there discussing things you know we thought of after the fact or that we didn't have time to have in the show. And uh, I think you put it best. Like I want to see and learn from you know, listeners talking to each other and, and talking back to us, just a way better forum for a uh, ongoing conversation. Twitter is excellent for short form comments and responses. Please feel free to keep using Twitter, but Reddit is, is better for those uh, robust and, and deep analyses. <laughs> uh, if you want to uh, make sure you actually get the show delivered to you every week, so you don't have to go out into the world and find it on our website, uh, you can use your favorite podcatcher to subscribe using the iTunes or the RSS button. Uh, I'm still using Pocket Casts and Overcast a little bit. Mike, I think you're still using Overcast mostly as your daily driver, right? Yep. Um, but they're all good. Any podcatcher is going to work. Uh, and you can either just search for us uh, in their directory or you can press that RSS or that iTunes button right on the website. And it'll pop open the app and it'll subscribe you and then it gets hand delivered to you every day. 
Uh, if you want to support us a little bit, you can go to iTunes and leave us a rating and review. That always gives us a little bit better surfacing and search results, helps other people find the shows. Plus, it gives us the warm fuzzies, and I'm always a big fan of that. Uh, and if you want to support us a little bit more directly, you can actually go to our Patreon, patreon.com slash sunrise robot. And depending on the level you support at, you can get your name shouted out at the end of flipping tables or even all the shows on the Sunrise Robot Network. And with that, I want to give a special thanks to Matt Mariner, Sean Byrne, Benji Robinson, Forced Upgrade Cunningham, Carolyn Kraut, Cliff Lyons, Ido Abramovich, Justin Edwards, and Joan Edwards. We love you all so much, we could not do it without you. So much virtual reality love. See you next week. <laughs>